Hey friends, welcome to the Her God Story podcast, where you will always hear a good story to equip, inspire, and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Kiracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America and International, author and traveler on this journey of faith, and I am delighted that you have joined us. Isaiah 41.10 is a wonderful encouragement and promise from God. In the NIV, it reads, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, fear can hamper our life in so many ways. Worst of all, fear can keep us from following the Lord. But when we know God is with us and will strengthen us, help us, and even uphold us, we can walk forward with him without fear. My guest, Nadine Nesbitt, has learned this truth and it has transformed her life. Nadine is a space operations safety engineer, that's a mouthful, working to support the International Space Station. Early in her career, she worked for NASA training astronauts and then in mission control supporting the space shuttle flights. This brilliant woman is also a wife and mother of three. She interrupted her career to homeschool her children and has seen God do remarkable things as she has followed his leading. Nadine has a story of God's power to save and set us free to walk in his fullness. Welcome, Nadine. Thank you, Jody. I'm really delighted to be here today. Nadine, you have quite an impressive resume working on both the space shuttle and the International Space Station projects. But tell us a little about your background, your growing up years. What was Nadine like as a little girl? How were your interests and your faith fostered when you were young? I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, to two loving families. I have a brother and a sister. My father was the son of uh, immigrants from the Carpatho-Russian area of Eastern Europe. And my mother was the daughter of immigrants from Serbia. So it was a very ethnic home, heard foreign languages in my home. But my parents were both educated. My dad was a metallurgical engineer. My mom was a um, librarian, but she also taught classes at um, the University of Pittsburgh. She actually could speak five languages. I didn't get that gene. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) No, I didn't. I was going to say, did you pick that up? (laughs) We moved to Texas when I was about five years old, and we lived in various regions of the state. We first moved to the Houston area. Then we moved to the Wild West of Midland, Texas, where tumbleweeds were not only a thing in the movies, but we also saw them going down our street. We later moved to uh, Dallas area where that's really where the bulk of my growing up happened. My parents were both of the Eastern Orthodox faith, the Christian faith, which I would describe as a very liturgical expression of the faith, very formal, a lot of rote prayers, that type of thing. So when I was growing up, they took me to the Russian Orthodox Church, and much of the service was in Russian. And we also attended the Greek Orthodox Church, which is the same, except that it was in the Greek language. So I got to hear both Russian and Greek growing up. At a very young age, though, Jody, I can tell you that just going in this formal environment, I really developed an awe for God and a respect for God. And so I always had that in the back of my mind, you know, that God was someone who to be revered, but I really didn't have a clue that I could ever possibly have a personal relationship with him. I really just kind of grew up wanting to please God in everything I did. I wanted to please my parents. I didn't want to do anything that ever hurt their feelings or 
made them um, not be proud of me. So I really developed this attitude of just being a people pleaser. And also I was the quintessential good girl. I grew up do, making the right choices, making my parents proud. And when I look back, I see that my standard for righteousness was really based on what my parents expected of me. As I was growing up, my father was really influential in my life. He taught me how to fix things around the house. And so when I decided to go to college, I wanted to become an engineer like my dad. So I went to Texas A&M where I studied chemical engineering. But uh, much to my dismay is when I graduated, I was on my first interview and they talked about wearing steel-toed shoes. And I was just simply horrified and thought, <laughs> that is just not me. I can't do that. So God had a different direction and plan for my life. A friend of mine set me up with an interview with Rockwell International, who was a contractor for NASA at the time. And they were actually looking for a woman to train astronauts. And I fit the bill. And that sounded exciting to me. I went on the interview. They hired me on the spot. And I actually was their first female hire in the astronaut training division. Wow, that must have been amazing. Yes, it was. Just six years later, I wanted to do something new. So I interviewed for a position with NASA to support space shuttle operations from what was called the ECOM console in mission control. ECOM was responsible for environmental control and life support systems. So that was a whole new level of challenge. And it was really quite fun too, to tell you the truth. So I was blessed to have that as a career. So you got to sit in mission control when the space shuttles were flying. Is that is that right? Oh, yes, absolutely. I supported them from both the back room and the front room. And the front room is the people that you see on the news. And they communicate with the flight director. It was a very exciting job to have. Nadine, you mentioned that you were really the quintessential good girl, as you called it. And being scientifically minded, you had a brilliant career path ahead of you. Um, and from the outside, it may have appeared that you didn't even really need God. You had it all together, but you had some startling supernatural encounters when God became very real to you. It was no, he was no longer the far distant God that you might've had a sense of when you were young. Share how you came to put your faith in Christ. What happened? I didn't know that I needed God at the time. I was a NASA engineer who frankly thought she had it made. But I still had that underlying desire to please God. And I think the Lord honored that desire. He um, opened up an opportunity for an encounter that eventually led me to that place of surrender and knowing him. Well, I was in my mid to late 20s when a young man invited me on a date to a place called Magic Island. And it was an entertainment type venue where they had magic shows, illusionists. They also had a room where they had what I describe now as different occultic services that they offered. They had a tarot card reader. There was a Ouija board table that you could play. There was a place to get your palm read, all that type of stuff that was in there. My date had decided to get his palm read and he wanted me to do it with him. But Quite frankly, that dark atmosphere kind of creeped me out. <laughs> and so I declined, you know, but he went ahead and did it. But later that night, after I came home, I turned the lights out in my room and was just settling into falling asleep when all of a sudden demonic creatures appeared in my room. 
I could see them physically with my eyes. I, I hadn't been drinking. I didn't do drugs. They were a reality. They were there. They were right in front of my face. So something followed me home that day. And there were a lot of small creatures that were flying around the room. But there was one large head that appeared at the foot of my bed. I would describe it now, uh, years later, as the face that you would see on one of those orcs from Lord of the Rings. It was a very grotesque, very ugly and very scary. <laughs> so so that kind of freaked me out. And so what did your scientific mind think? I didn't know what to think. I just got up out of bed. I turned on the lights. I was scared, quite frankly. And so what I did was I had a Bible. It was one of those Bibles with the zipper around the edges. <laughs> and I put it on the pillow next to me because I thought it would protect me. You know, I did I never opened it. <laughs> it was still zippered up, but it was on my pillow next to me for protection. And then I decided to turn on the TV to a Christian channel. I just had that Christian channel on. And I slept that way for close to a year. I had the Christian TV going on in the background and never really sat down to listen to it. It was there on because I thought that would offer me some protection. Yeah. So, I mean, deep in your heart, you knew that there was a spiritual realm, but you didn't really want to go there. Right. Exactly. I didn't want to investigate. I didn't know how to investigate and I'd never heard of anything like that before. So, yeah, you're right. So, but one day I often did shift work working in mission control because you work around the clock supporting shuttle missions. And I had one of my colleagues that lived in the same apartment complex and he noticed that my light was on all night. (laughs) You know, every time he passed by my apartment after his shift was over, he would notice, I don't know why he would notice my light was on. So he actually stopped me one day at work and said, Nadine, are you afraid of the dark? Um, Well, yes, but I couldn't tell him that. So I decided (laughs) that I was being crazy. And I decided that night I was going to turn my light off and sleep like a normal person. And when I did, those demonic creatures reappeared in my room. But this time they were, I would say, more aggressive. They actually came to me as I laid in bed and I felt a shove. I felt, and I actually, my body was moving. So they, there was some kind of real entity in my room, shoving me, moving me. So even though all that time of having that Christian TV on the TV, I never sat and listened to it. I was hearing it. I was hearing what they were saying. And one of the things I remembered in that moment was someone had said on that Christian TV that there's power in the name of Jesus. So I called out, I shouted, Jesus. And the instant I did, those creatures left my room. They were gone in an instant. It was very, very powerful display of the power of the name of Jesus. And you still didn't know him as your savior, but just the use of his name. Just the use of his name was so very powerful. When that happened, I jumped out of bed, of course, because now I was excited because I had learned the power of Jesus name. And so I thought I I need to know more about this Jesus bolted out of bed, turned on the TV and there was Paul Crouch on TBN. And he was quoting from Isaiah 64. He's saying all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And then he quoted from uh, Romans 3:23: for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, I was arrogant enough to just have this thought come into my head that 
he couldn't be possibly talking about me. Well, I thought I didn't sin. I, I was a good girl. You know, what is he talking about? When have I ever sinned? These are the questions that were going in my mind. And then it happened. I found myself in a white room with God sitting on his throne in front of me. I didn't actually see God. I just knew that it was God that was sitting in front of me. The Lord suddenly gave me a life review. It started with my childhood. It seemingly lasted for hours, but I had these flashbacks of every place that I had fallen short of the glory of God. And it just wrecked me. It just left me on the floor in a puddle, weeping. I was having some carpet time at that time. It, and it really did seem like it went on for hours and hours, as you can imagine, a life review would. But then I started feeling a sense of despair, like, what can I do now? And so that's what I asked. I said, well, what can I do now? And what can I do to be saved? And just as I was thinking that, I heard Paul Crouch's voice and he said, you might be thinking right now, what can I do to be saved? And then he led in a prayer of, of repentance and of salvation. So that night I became a new creature in Christ when I prayed that prayer and asked the Lord to become my Lord. Wow. I knew him personally now. And did those creatures ever come back? They never came back. Never, never, never. <laughs> no. So Nadine, what changed? after you became a Christian, I mean, you're still a good girl. You were always a good girl. So, you know, there, there might not have been necessarily uh, behavioral changes, but how did you grow in your faith? And, and how did you, you know, what did you experience as a new believer? Well, um, interestingly enough, that same week, uh, a woman at work approached me and her name was Debbie, love her to death. She's still my very close friend. Um, but she said that she had heard I had become a Christian and that she wanted to be my friend. So I was kind of blown away by that because I hadn't told anybody, but somehow she knew. And at the time, really, most of my friends were men. You know, I had studied engineering where most of my fellow students were men. Uh, most of my colleagues at work were men. But I believe God wanted me to have women friends and he provided them. So Debbie became a mentor to me. She was awesome. She taught me about water baptism. <laughs> and she said, have you been water baptized? I said, sure, I was water baptized. Said, no, honey, you have to be water baptized since you believed. So she led me in that. She taught me about Holy Spirit baptism. She taught me about evangelism. She, she taught me how to pray. She took me to church. I learned scripture from her. She was just an amazing woman of God that really set me on a course of really loving the word of God and loving God's people. At the time, though, because, you know, my parents didn't know anything about what was happening, I was still connected to the Greek Orthodox Church. So I was still going to that, had one foot there because it was a cultural thing. It's like, oh, how do I tell them I'm leaving this? You know, that was a very hard thing to do. But what I would do, I was part of a group there, a young adult singles type group. And so everything I learned from Debbie, I shared with them. And so it was a really powerful time of me being an evangelist, even though I was a young believer in the Lord. So it was a lot of those people came into a relationship with Jesus. So Debbie was the one who also introduced me to Doug Stringer and his outreach endeavors that he had. And she was the one that introduced me to the late night street witnessing 
in the lower mantras. And for those who don't know, for those of you who don't know, Doug Stringer is the founder of Somebody Cares, which sponsors and hosts this podcast and uh, started on the streets of Houston. And Nadine, go ahead and tell what you guys used to do on the streets of Houston. Okay. Well, I was still struggling with fear, but Debbie literally drug me to the streets the first time I went. But (laughs) God really did an amazing thing the first time. I had told you how I had returned to the Greek Orthodox group. That church was actually in the lower Montrose area of Houston. And one of the girls in that group asked me to pray for a young man named Billy Zorba. That week, Debbie prevailed and I joined her and Doug Stringer's team on the streets. And, And there we were. While this huge, burly, scary-looking, tall, young man covered in tacks came walking up to us. And yes, it was Billy Zorba, the young man I had been praying for that week. So we talked with him. We shared the gospel with him. We prayed a prayer protection over him. He wasn't quite ready to turn his life over to Jesus yet. He still allowed us to pray a prayer of protection over him. And uh, I actually told him I'd bring him a new Bible if he would meet me at that Greek church the next Sunday. So dutifully, I came with my gift and waited and waited for him to show up. And finally, the priest noticed me sitting alone on the pew after everyone had gone home. And he said, "Uh, can I help you? And I told him I had met Billy on the streets and was bringing him a Bible. And the priest shared with me that Billy had been shot five times the night we prayed for him and my eyes started to well up with tears I thought oh my goodness we'd missed it but he said don't don't cry Billy's fine because he shared with me how you all prayed for him and and even as uh, he was being shot he saw angels protecting him and he knew it was because of our prayers it took a while but Billy eventually surrendered his life to Christ so that was a very powerful first encounter on the streets wow Yeah, even as a young believer, you got to experience and really witness the power of God, which absolutely is is remarkable because once you see and experience the power of God, you never you never walk away. You know that it's real and he's real, even during those tough times that come in all of our lives, you know the power of God is going to prevail. So, you know, friends, there are a lot of hurting people who need Jesus. And as a company of women, we can do so much to help those who are orphaned and widows who have served the Lord all over the world. Many have special needs that we as a company of women can meet together. Would you consider joining us with a special gift to help? Just go to hergodstory.org and click on the Widow and Orphan tab at the top of the page. So Nadine, after you accepted the Lord, you were still dealing with fear. We haven't talked about how you, you dealt with fear in the past, but you that's not something that went away immediately. Uh, you're right, Jody. I was struggling with fear. Um, and I, I believe it was because um, it was really something that I had learned from a young age. You see, my mom was a chronic warrior. She was filled with a lot of fear. She was um, a, a helicopter mom to the maximum. She worried about everything and um, and everything. And I just picked up on that. So I, too, from a young age, started to have um, those feelings of fear and worry. And on top of that, when uh, I started my career training astronauts, um, one of the ways that we would train astronauts is through simulations. And when I was in that training role, I would have to think of failure scenarios um, that the crewmen would have to respond to. 
and I would have to think in terms of the next worst failure that could happen it happen. So without realizing rising it, uh, as I was training astronauts, I was really training myself uh, to think of the next worst thing that could happen in my life. And so I was instead of breaking free from the fear, I was actually reinforcing it. And so when I first um, came to the Lord, the very first scripture that he spoke to me through where I knew it was personal for me um, that had his um, signature uh, mark all over it was from Second Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind. And he was wanting to retrain me. He was wanting to transform my mind. And he wanted me to walk in faith, not fear. So you continued to work at NASA and you were very involved in outreach and fellowship of Christians through Doug Stringer's ministry at the time. And um which birth somebody cares. And when you met a man that you would eventually marry, and it's really quite a story. Share that with us. Oh, it's a beautiful story. Yes. I was volunteering with the Doug Stringer's ministry, attending uh, weekly Bible studies that he led. And at that time, Doug was sponsoring and hosting a spiritual impact conference. Men and women from really all over the world would come to glean from Doug's wisdom and experience and others that he had called alongside him to uh, that had the same vision. Since I was working at Mission Control at the time, Doug asked me to take a few groups on a tour of Johnson Space Center. And one of the guys that was in the group was Russell, who was from New Zealand and who is now my husband. We hardly exchanged any words on that tour, but when he got home, he was sharing photos of the trip with some Fijian pastors that were living with him at the time. They were going to Bible college in Auckland where he lived. And so he was hosting them in his home. And so uh, it was back in the days where we didn't have digital photos. So he had the physical photos. And when he turned up a photo of, of me, he had a thought come to him that I was going to be his wife. And when he passed the photo to one of the pastors that lived with them, they promptly said, I think this girl is going to be your wife. So that set him on a path of prayer to seek out the Lord's will. And he's in New Zealand at this time. He's in New Zealand and you're in at Houston. this time. I'm in Houston. <laughs> so it just so happened, though, that later that same year, I was scheduled to join Doug's team that was going to New Zealand and Fiji on a mission trip. And then the night before my departure, I had a friend call me and said she had a dream. And the dream basically was that she saw me sitting in a field with flowers all around the perimeter of the field, that there was a man with me and that he laid a, a blanket or something down on the ground. And we sat on the blanket together and the man proceeded to ask me to marry him. So she said that she thought the Lord had given her that dream and that I was going to meet my husband on this trip. So, okay, I put it in the I'll ponder it pocket, you know, and, and went on this trip and Russell asked me out to lunch. And after lunch, he invited me to go on a walk with him. And we found ourselves in a field. It was actually a park that was uh, next door to the restaurant. It was surrounded by flowers just on the perimeter, just like the dream. And he wanted to sit down. So he took off his sweater 
and laid it on the ground because the ground was a bit damp. And he invited me to sit on the ground with him. And I realized at the time that sounds very much like that dream that my friend had had. And he just cut to the chase. He said he, he had prayed about it and the, wanted to court me with the intention of marriage. So there you have it. In the moment, I was like, wow, that's really great. This is the dream. And then I realized I don't know this person. I don't know anything about him. So I pretty much shut down. And he said, okay, well, we can start over. Where do you want to start? And I said, hello, my name is Nadine. (laughs) (laughs) So, but we corresponded through letters and through long distance phone calls at the no cell phones at the time. And so we got to know each other that way. And I just been praying about, Lord, do you want this man to be my husband? If you do, you got to, I know this sounds like a very shallow prayer, but he had these glasses that I really didn't like. They were, I thought they were kind of goofy looking. So, so I said, Lord, if you want me to be with this guy, you're going to have to do something about those glasses. So a week later on our weekly phone call, Russell's talking to me and he said, you'll never believe what happened to me last week. And I'm like, what's that? He said, well, I was driving down the road and my glasses split in two. So I had to get new ones. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you didn't. <laughs> he broke his glasses in tr- two so that he, he would have to get new ones. And I said, well, did you pick them out yourself? He said, no, I had a friend pick them out this time. <laughs> I'm like, wow, thank God for friends. So anyway, it was a series of those amazing kind of confirmations that the Lord brought us together. That's amazing. By the time you were married, you were in your mid thirties and you're, you're wanting a family. Um, you started having children right away and you and Russell talked about raising children and you felt like the Lord was leading you to homeschool. I mean, you're a rocket scientist and now you're thinking of just walking away from it all and homeschooling your children. Did you have any hesitations at all about leaving your career? And how how did you come to that decision and and why? Well, um, the Lord put it on both Russell's and my heart to homeschool. And we really did from the get-go have agreement about that. The Lord confirmed it to us by sending me various women who were veteran homeschoolers. They just, I just found myself connecting through church and actually through work with other women that were homeschooling. So they pretty much taught me the ropes. Some of those ladies, like I said, they were my colleagues at NASA that had done gone before me and quit their jobs so that they could homeschool too. And I really wanted to have my kids to have a Christian worldview. And so that was really the primary purpose that we homeschooled. The transition from being a career woman to being a homeschool mom wasn't all that difficult for me. It really felt quite natural. I was 37 when I had my first child. So by that time, I had been a career woman for a while. I had really reached the peak of being an e-com. If I wanted to do something else and a, a new challenge, you know, that would mean I would have to embark on a new path. So I was coming to a close and the peak of the of the path that I was on. So it seemed like a natural time. And so I really had the thought that I really felt blessed to be able to experience both worlds. So it, it wasn't really a difficult transition for me to make mentally. The only hesitation I had was how was I going to explain this to my parents and my siblings? That was the single most thing that proved to be a challenge because they basically thought I was nuts for leaving my career to homeschool my children. 
as you said, you know, your family, family can, can play a big, you know, they do play a big part in our life and in our, in our decisions and in how we perceive what we're doing. But years later, you had the opportunity to lead your mom to the Lord. And then she understood your decision. Share that story. That was a very powerful story. My mom had had a colonoscopy gone bad. The physician had punctured her colon and she ended up in ICU. She survived the ordeal, but Russell and I packed up the kids, loaded up the car so that we could go spend some time with her to care for her while she was recovering in Dallas. One night while we were there, I saw that Russell, I walked into the room and Russell was talking with my mom and he gave a very serious look at me and said, it's time to tell your testimony to your mom. And I was back there, uh, no, <laughs> not going to do it. I know what that's going to, you know, I know we're going to have an argument. No, we're not doing that. And then I looked and saw my mom and she had tears in her eyes. And I found out that she had just asked Russell a serious question. Do people have visions of hell before they go there? His answer to her was quite blunt. I think they do. And so that really sent her in a tailspin. So come to find out, my mom had had a similar experience in ICU with demons surrounding her like I had had so many years earlier. So I shared my story with her. And when I got to the part where I told her about Paul Crouch leading me in a prayer, she said, now what was that prayer? I realized at the time, mom, do you want me to pray that prayer with you now? And she burst into tears. It was so beautiful. That was the moment that God breathed new life into her. It was uh, an honor to be a part of that. But every day for the next week, she would pray with me. And as the Lord was leading her, she just wanted to repent of things from her past. So one thing after another, she would come like, we need to pray with it. We pray about this. We need to pray about that. And it was absolutely a beautiful time, a real bonding time. But one of the things that she had mentioned in that week that I spent with her, she said that the Lord had opened her eyes and told me she understood now why I homeschooled my kids. So it was really quite amazing. Yeah, the Lord just gave you that stamp of approval. Of course, you always had his stamp of approval, but we like to have that from our parents too, don't we? <laughs> we don't always get it, but the Lord was gracious to, to allow you to experience that. Oh, absolutely. And while you were homeschooling, God led you and Russell to start a house church for about 10 years. And that's kind of a unique thing as well. What was that like? And, and what did you see God do through you? That was a beautiful time as well. We had been attending a mega church at the time where we were serving, we were growing, and we're really, quite frankly, we were being equipped. And Russell and I had always, always had a heart for small groups and for hospitality. So it was just a natural thing for us when the Lord called us out into starting a, a home church. And um, I really feel like a lot of discipleship is done over the dinner plate or over a cup of coffee. And it really creates that safe place to share and deal with things that might be swept under the rug in a larger setting. So... Initially, we thought our house church would be used to bring in the unchurched, like our neighbors, sort of an urban missions type ministry. As we started, the Lord began to just bring partners to help lead it. But he also brought young Christians. He brought timid Christians and he brought wounded Christians to us. 
So in the long run, I believe our a house church became like an incubator for people. It was instrumental in developing the giftings and callings in those who attended. And it was also a healing place for the wounded. I'll give you an example of how we were used to reach the needs of people that um, might not be able to be reached in, in a larger church setting. On occasion, we had a man come, his name was Dale, and he had done time in prison as a sex offender. And while he was in prison, he had given his life wholly to Jesus and was actually, when he got out, he actually got involved in prison ministry. Someone in our group invited a friend from work. And as it turned out, this new person had a son who was on trial as a sex offender. And that night, Dale was able to minister to this father who was distraught about his son. The man would not in my mind would not probably been able to open up to somebody in a larger regular church setting but in the comfort of our home while being surrounded with people who would pray and love on him and stand with him it was just an incredible display of of ministry the one-on-one ministry so we have many many stories like that that happened while we had the house church. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up after we got saved, we were in a house church setting for a long time. We were also attending a church on Sunday, but really our spiritual growth happened kind of in a group, a home, a home church type group that met midweek. And we still have relationship with those people 50 years later. Right. Um, They are, you know, they are our Christian family. I mean, they feel just like normal family and, I think that is miss. I think so many believers miss are missing that um, sense of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, not because churches are trying to keep people apart, but it's it's the culture of the world, <laughs> and we get swept up and don't stop long enough to say, "Hey, let me take you in." Like like the you know your friend at work who. I don't know. The Lord might've told her you were a believer. She might've seen a new sparkle in your eye and she came over and said, Hey, let's be friends. Right. Um, you know, when we, we truly believe there's going to be a mighty harvest coming soon with a lot of people getting saved. And we who have been walking with the Lord need to take time and befriend them mm-hmm. and share our story, which is really one of the reasons I do these podcasts in the first place to, to share our faith journey, to share other women's faith journey. So new believers and struggling people who are struggling with different issues know the power of God. You did the house church for about 10 years. And after that, you got involved in another ministry. Uh, and this one's called Trace Diaz. Is that is that right? I think you just did a Trace Diaz weekend last weekend. Yes. So tell us briefly about that ministry, how you got involved and, and how God gave you really a deeper revelation of 2 Timothy 1.7, which you touched on earlier. Right. Oh, I just absolutely love the Trace Diaz ministry. It's a, it's a three-day weekend, hence the Trace Diaz, that has the goal of bringing people in a closer relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it also has the goal of raising up servant leaders. Uh, we've been involved with Tristeus for eight years now, and we're also involved in the youth version. So they have a for adults and for youth. The three-day weekends are often life-changing for most people um, who attend because they get a real tangible display of the love and grace of God. After you've attended 
a Tracy's weekend for the first time that you can come back and serve with the ministry. So when you attend as a participant for the first time, you are loved on, you experience all this. When you come back, you get to pour out into others who are attending. So it's just a very exciting ministry. They train you um, to be a servant leader. So you are trained to follow instructions. You're trained to lead small teams. You're trained to lead larger teams. And eventually you're trained to lead a whole team, which consists about a 140 people that includes team and participants. This ministry trains men, trains women, trains young adults. Um, we train them to write and deliver talks that include biblical teachings. And we, we train people how to um, share their personal testimonies, which are, is really powerful when you combine that with the word of God. There's uh, multiple avenues of growth in this ministry. You can serve on a prayer team. So some people come and they've never prayed out loud before. And so they learn how to do that. They learn how to do spiritual warfare. You can serve on a chapel team, a mobile or logistics team, a music or tech team, a dining and kitchen. So you learn hospitality, a fellowship team. It really teaches you how to be Christ hands in action, which is so important. It's just a gives you those tangible tools you need to go out into your environments into your spheres of influence and pay it forward and to to help others and when you first got involved you were actually i mean you had been a believer for many years now you you've led a house church yes but when you first went as a participant you got a deeper revelation from the Lord. I did. I did. Even as a more mature believer. I did. I did. Not only did I give God a deeper revelation of his love and his desire to set me free from that fear. He also helped me through this ministry, build my confidence and help me overcome that struggle that I did have with fear. And so just this last fall, I was blessed to be able to, to be the director and the visionary for the weekend where I was responsible for management of that entire team. For this scaredy cat to move into that place of responsibility was quite freeing for me. And it really instilled in me uh, uh, just a new courage and new confidence. But going back to the 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. For years, I had just focused on that first part. God has not given you a spirit of fear. And I didn't really think about the second part, you know, but the, the Lord has been drawing me to that second half. He has given me a spirit of power. And the Greek word there for power is dunamis. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Acts 1.8 when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I can witness without fear of persecution. I can move forward and tell people about Jesus. So that was really powerful for me to, to get that revelation that I don't have to um, be bullied by fear. I don't have to be intimidated at all because God has given me that power that I can witness and then he's given me a spirit of love. I can love others freely without fear of rejection. And that's powerful because, you know, when you're a shy, scaredy cat, you fear rejection. But coming into that place where you can love like he loves, 
where you're not expecting anything in return. And if somebody doesn't receive your love, it's okay. You're still loved by the father. So you just go on to the next assignment, knowing that he's still at work and whoever it was that he had called you to share love with in the first place. And then the third part of that scripture, he has given me a sound mind. Some versions say he has given me self-discipline so I can make wise choices without fear of failure. So that was really powerful for me that, wow, the Lord is on my side. I can make, you know, and even if I do fail, he'll, he'll bring a course correction. So I don't have to have fear. Yeah. So as you're walking out this new understanding that God has given you his power and his love and a sound mind, you said you've started stepping out in faith. How, how, just give us a story of how you've applied that in your life and what you've seen God do. I will tell you this sweet story. I love this sweet story. I was um, taking my friend to her chemo treatments and sitting with her because she wanted somebody to sit with her. After she started her treatment, she fell asleep. So there I was in this room full of other people receiving their treatments as well. And so I just asked the Lord, you know, who in the room needs to know you and who in the room needs to feel loved. I looked around the room and I saw this elderly man there. He must have been about 85 years old and he had on a hat that had hot dogs all over it. So I affectionately called him hot dog hat man. I somehow was not fearful, went over to him and, and struck up a conversation. And the moment he started talking, I noticed his accent. It was a Pittsburgh accent. <laughs> so we really connected right there in the beginning because I was born in Pittsburgh, as I told you earlier. And it just really opened up the door for him to be, I don't know, he just uh, trusted me from the beginning. And he started sharing with me his joys and his struggles. And I learned along the way that um, he was actually of Eastern European descent. He had been a chemist. I was a chemical engineer. Um, he had worked at NASA. I had worked at NASA. He had worked on the space shuttle life support systems. And I had worked on the space shuttle life support system. So we God had just made these connections with us right off the bat. We just had an ease of talking with, with one another, which is unusual for me. Um, but I had stepped out in, you know, that spirit of power to be able to talk to Charles. And so I asked Charles, how can I be praying for him? And he shut down immediately when I asked that question. He didn't want to hear it. Um, he began to fidget uncomfortably and didn't want to talk to me. So I changed the subject to food and he was instantly relieved. But after about an hour of conversing with him, it was time for him to go. And he, he just paused and he said, you know, he goes, I'm a scientist and science and God are not compatible. And he just paused a minute. And so I look back at him and he goes, well, I'm a scientist too. And I have found <laughs> that God and science are not mutually exclusive. So he kind of tilted his head and just that, hmm, he didn't get angry with me. So as I was seeking the Lord of how to minister to him, because I knew I'd be back with my friend and that he would be there at the same time, the Lord gave me a strategy from Proverbs uh, 1816. A man's gifts makes room for him. So I thought, wow, 
I will start bringing him gifts. Lord, show me what gifts to bring. So I bring him muffins. I bring him little things like that. And then um, the Lord showed me that I need to get him a book. And it was a book uh, from that was written by an astronaut. And it was called My Journey in Space and Faith as NASA's record-setting frequent flyer. And so what happened was I was able to get this book personally autographed for Charles. So I went the little extra mile there to get it personally autographed. And it turns out that um, Charles was responsible for uh, the, a system within these um, space suits that removed the carbon dioxide. I know this is probably too much detail. Jerry Ross was an astronaut who did the extravehicular activity that just did the spacewalks outside of the vehicle. So he wore the suits that Charles worked on. So there was that connection right away. So when I handed Charles this book and he saw that it was Jerry Ross, the astronaut had written the book, he was delighted to get this work book. But he, I said, look, Charles, it's been autographed for you personally. So he opened it up. And this is the quote that Jerry signed. He goes, Charles, thank you for giving me fresh air to breathe in my spacesuit. Always trust in God. Signed, Jerry L. Ross. P.S. Please pay special attention to pages 213 and 214. Well, I nearly fell over when I read those pages because on page 213, Jerry Ross had underlined underlined these words i have no problem combining science and faith they are not mutually exclusive wow those were the exact words the very words i had spoken to charles on the first day i met so yeah I so love did it. charles come to know the lord at some yes point? i visited charles for the next eight months and um he was very resistant to the gospel the whole time. But um, I just kept sewing into his life, kept bringing his gift, him gifts. He wondered, you know, he goes, he, one day he says, why do you visit me? He goes, you know, I don't have any money. <laughs> goes, you know, I'm too old to date you. And, you know, I mean, he just could not figure out why it was so nice to him. You know, I was able to visit him on, found out that he was on hospice care. And I was able to visit him. And uh, this is a really powerful story. I shared the gospel with him. He didn't accept it. And I thought, well, maybe he didn't understand. So I shared it in a different way with a different approach. Um, he didn't understand. Uh, so I just paused and asked the Lord to show me, you know, how I can reach Charles. And the words that the Lord gave me, I just leaned over to Charles and I whispered in his ears, Charles, I know you don't think God is real. But there's one way that you can know without a doubt that he is real, that he loves you and that he wants you to spend eternity with him. And so Charles' eyes opened wide. He looked at me, listened, and I said, Charles, you can know that God is real because he sent me to you to tell you about him. It was such a powerful moment. And his, you could see the light bulb come on. And so all the years that he had, and all the other people who had witnessed to him, all it just came. I, I just happened to be the closer. <laughs> it was so powerful. And he and so I asked him if he wanted to um, acknowledge that Jesus was his Lord and Savior. And he said, yes. And then he drew me into him so I could hear him. And he said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nadine, after being 
home with your children for about 20 years. Mm. They all went away to college as kids do. <laughs> and you found yourself with a lot of time on your hands and also some big college bills to pay. So uh, after praying, you decided it was time to go back to work. And God did some amazing things. What was that? Once again, God was so very faithful. I had mentioned in my group of friends that I was looking for work. Um, I wasn't confident that I could uh, go back to um, the space industry because I had been out for so long. So I was told them, you know, I'm looking for maybe take a ship job or work at Aldi or maybe at the mall. And so a friend of mine in that group asked me to put my resume to, together. So I quickly put a resume together for her and it was a pretty weak resume. <laughs> I hadn't worked in 20 years except for a few administrative tasks that I did for my husband's company. And so it was even hard to tell from my resume what I was even looking for in employment because it was so scattered and it was so sparse. Um, but despite the awful resume, I found myself having an interview with KBR, Kellogg, Brown and Root, who's an, who are a NASA contractor. I interviewed with them and just uh, a few weeks later, I was employed as an operations safety engineer for the International Space Station. And I also do safety assessments for the Gateway Project, which is space station that will be circling the moon. So that is, I mean, that was like a very coveted uh, project to be working on in the space industry. And God just opened that door as if you had never left. He's so faithful. It was amazing. There was no concern for my age. You know, I'm in my 60s. Uh, there was no concern for my 20-year hiatus and work history. Uh, it was truly a, a door that God opened um, because my experience related only to the space shuttle and not to the space station. So so what looked like a 20-year professional gap was really nothing to God. And you, and you had been following right. his lead and sowing into your family. So when it was the right time, he opened the door for you that nobody else could have opened. And, um, and you see it as an opportunity. We were talking the other day. You see it as an opportunity to be a witness even in the workplace. Um, but Nadine, as we kind of close out here, what are one or two key truths that you want other people to know in their journey with the Lord? Well, first of all, uh, you know, we are all on this journey of transformation with God. And so he can, if he can take a scaredy cat like me and make me confident in him, he can do that for anybody. Romans 8, 15, he hasn't given us a spirit of bondage that leads again to fear, but rather a spirit of adoption by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. And I want women to know and everybody to know that he is your daddy and that you are his daughter and knowing whose you are. And who you are is foundational in walking in your God-given purpose. And secondly, he has chosen us to partner with him. That is mind-blowing. And he has chosen us to reach others. And so women of God who are listening, the spirit of the Lord is upon you because he has anointed you to love and influence others for him. You've got to live like that. You will never, never, ever regret accepting that call. So persist. I would say carry on, keep going, move forward in him and allow him to show you just how faithful he is. As we close, Nadine, would you share about a woman 
in the Bible who has inspired or encouraged or taught you something? Oh, there's so many. We can certainly learn something um, from every woman in the Bible. They're just um, amazing stories. But I relate well to Lydia. She was a businesswoman who sold highly prized purple cloth. And when she is first mentioned in the Bible, she is described as a worshiper of God, or rather a God-fearer. Yet, at that time, she didn't know Jesus. So it was a lot like my life. Um, God opened her heart to receive the fullness of the gospel, and she became an influencer for God in her own family, as well as in the city of Philippi. And she supported the ministry of Paul financially and through her hospitality. That's what I love about her. It was in Lydia's home that the church of Philippi first gathered. So she had a home church. I'm inspired by her because she showed boldness and courage by receiving Paul and Silas into her home after they were released from prison, even though the people of Philippi were still angry with them. So that took um, just a sense of a boldness and courage for her, for her to be able to do that. She risked her reputation to do that and perhaps even her livelihood, but she still showed no fear. So Lydia is my champion. Yeah, I hadn't really thought much about her life, but you're right. She was a bold, bold, courageous woman. We've talked a bit about 2 Timothy 1.7, which encourages us to reject the spirit of fear and walk in the power and love and sound mind that God gave us. And Romans 8.11 tells us, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. We have that same power. God wants his power to flow out of us to minister to others. He wants to use you, dear friends, to give others hope like he's been using Nadine. Nadine, would you take a moment and pray for our listeners? Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus, lifting up all who are listening I ask that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would rise up within them so that they can know the Lord Jesus in all his glory. Reveal to them, Lord, that you have not given them a spirit of fear, but rather of power, of love, and of sound mind. I ask that all my sisters would refuse to be bullied by their own fears or diminished in any way by their own insecurities. Father, convince them that the same spirit that was on Jesus is on them. The spirit of the Lord is upon them, giving them courage, boldness, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. They have been anointed to share the gospel and bring the light of Jesus into darkness. Raise them up to be leaders and influencers in every environment that they are in. Let your grace be poured out in such measure that they have the desire to do your will and the supernatural ability to do it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Well, thank you for tuning in. Check out our show notes at hergodstory.org for scriptures, links, and other information. And sign up there for our emails to get a free six-week devotional book that you can download on Women of the Bible. Or you can purchase a 12-week devotional on Women of the Bible for just $12 knowing that all the proceeds go to our Widow and Orphan Fund. We'd also love to pray with you on our 24-7 prayer and text line. You can call or text anytime at 855-459-CARE or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. And now, dear friends, I bless you from Philippians 4, 7-9. 
May the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And may your mind be filled with the truth, the the true, the noble, the right, the pure, the lovely, the admirable, and things that are excellent and praiseworthy, so that the peace of God will remain in you. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.